We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. Fern, you and I are almost always right. We're always right. Right. I will not make that claim at all. Um, you can make that claim, which is statistically inaccurate, but happy to listen to you say outlandish things as always. I ain't always right, but I've never been wrong. That's how I live my life. And one of the things you and I have been saying for quite some time is we are about to see an influx into affiliates. Correct. Whether it's because of closures and now boxes are opening back up, People are realizing the importance of health, which I'm still mind blown that there's not more information and news and resources being put out there about that. There's there's something wrong with this country that we're not getting more information about, hey, eat meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. I was just on a phone call this morning with my good friend um, from college talking about his daughter. And it's like, they don't realize, hey, cereal, followed by an orange juice, followed by a bagel, followed by, you know, a sandwich for is, or chicken nuggets is not ideal. And I'm not even talking about just kids, right? I'm just, but I'm saying, why are we not hearing for more? Anybody, Sorry. Anybody. I, it took three minutes, I'm off topic. But <laughs> what, I, what we were saying is people realize I need to work out. Those that were going to CrossFit that tried to do it alone in their garage realized I'm not really working hard. I'm not following anything specifically. Let's head back to the box. Boxes are exploding right now. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple of things that you touched there. One is why are we not having more conversations? And this is something that coach Glassman hounded for years, which is there's, there's no, there's not a better conversation happening around what are the solutions to these problems with regard to health and healthcare and expenses and all that stuff, because there's no money for the government or big corporations and people being healthy. They're just not. Like if everybody's healthy, the insurance companies don't make a, a ton of money because nobody goes to the doctor. You don't need insurance, all that kind of stuff. So that's one reason, right? The, the fact that we still hear from doctors the, that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is crazy. Like With, and, with, and, with lack of context about like what you're eating, just eat anything, just eat a big pile of donuts. And I've, I've checked the box for breakfast being the most important meal of the day. You're good. Yeah, we, you know, we, you know, we, we talked about this on the show before our mutual friend, Russ Green, who's no longer with CrossFit. He posted something on Twitter to the extent of like, everyone's talking about this pandemic. No one's talking about the fact that people are eating dessert for breakfast. Well, and then I don't like, I mean, most people that, follow us because our following is about as big as Joe Rogan's um, probably aware that like, the, the, yeah, the, um, the, he is in the, in the midst of like trying to be canceled because apparently him stating his opinion that if you are a healthy young person, 
that you don't need to get the vaccine is the most outlandish statement a human being could make at this point. I saw and it. I didn't read the, the article. The, but the, insanity, the insanity of people being so feverishly upset about that statement, which, by the way, is scientifically accurate, okay, is part of the problem. Yeah, I, I, I didn't read it, but I saw something about Fauci was going after something Rogan said. And I, I think I listened to the episode where where he actually said it. But but again, you know, bigger than that, like no, we're not talking about masks or vaccines. We're just talking like Health. why is there not an initiative out there to be like, hey, dummies, you need to eat, you know, better and you need to move more. And I'm just perplexed also being that I've never, you know, since I was a kid, like exercise has always been a part of my life. Like we forget as box owners, as a, as part of the CrossFit ecosystem, that there are people that don't move their body all day. Yeah, well, I mean, admittedly, I didn't. I, I really wasn't hip to it. Like, I didn't. We ate pretty poorly when I was kids. Like, now that is probably a little bit offset by I was fortunate enough, and this is kind of like the luck deal that Coach Glassman has talked about is just like good genetics that where I could to some degree combat that. Yeah, I just um, want to but, be clear because we do have a lot of new listeners after the Dave Castro interview I did. They. <laughs> You know, Fern played Division One basketball, and I There's think nothing to do with it. Not everybody knows that you're, you know, like you said. I mean, it was kind of a backhanded compliment to yourself that you have amazing genetics. No, I did not say I had amazing genetics. What I was referring to is genetics, meaning that like I'm not um, uh, susceptible to gaining weight very quickly. So and you're, you're like, shredded. I'll, right. I'll sum up what you're saying. You're shredded. You've always had a right. six pack. What else? I, anyway, so um, that combined with the fact that I was crazy active as a child, probably offset that. Otherwise, if you, if you looked at the amount of like things like Coca-Cola that I drank as a youth, I should probably be type two diabetic of like, just to be very candid. Um, it would not be weird for me to drink a full three liter and one day as a, as a child, like it was crazy. Um, but it's, so but it's, it's also very, every family is different. Cause I doubt, you know, I don't, you know, now that I'm a parent, I don't think, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Fernandez were like, let's raise some unhealthy children and let's try to give them diabetes. They were like, you know, no. a little bit of soda is okay. And he's active. Well, so like the, I mean, context, like diabetes, I think the childhood or, you know, early onset diabetes, like basically came up in the eighties. So as I was a youth, like that, that wave of, of sickness and illness hadn't actually hit yet. Like it was just in its infancy. And, and all of that to say is like, people don't know what they don't know. I ate like, like absolute asshole all the way through college. And then not, not until probably, I don't know. Let's see. I would kind of roll around at 185, 511, let's walking around weight, which I've been at for probably 20 years, but not until like there was a time period where I was just like eating like crap had really stopped working out. And I bumped up to like 210, which 15 pounds on somebody of my size, like shows. Yeah, but it, it took a really I, long time. It took, it took like three or four years post-college going largely sedentary. I don't want to say largely, like way less active than I was prior to that in, an, in, in, a, in a copious amount of alcohol consumption for that to happen before I kind of like flipped that thing around. So even, even with, let's consider 25 years of being incredibly active, it happened in probably about a year, which is interesting because I, what I think the statistics, I think I heard this on Joe Rogan too. The, um, I don't remember where they pulled the, the information from, 
and then we'll get to the point of all of this. The I think the average weight gain by I think it was millennials was 39 pounds in 2020, which yeah, is not, insane. Not. That is insane. So yes, people are coming into the gym because they're walking outside for the first time and they're like, oh my God, what have I done? I need to correct this. Like it's happening. I've, I see it here once a week. Yeah, there was a tremendous amount of weight gain. Obviously, 2020 is unique because people were locked down, right? They Their gym shut down. Uh, they were probably eating more just because they're working from home. They probably, you know, were eating worse foods. I mean, look at the restaurants that stayed open. Fast food is what stayed open. You know, mom and pop restaurant shops where you can order healthier options closed down. That's why you say 15 pounds does show on any human being. But I'm, I've put on 30 pounds, not during pandemic, but in college at times. And, you know, I talk about it, you know, we 30 have pounds on somebody who's four, two is a lot, by the way. <laughs> but no, I put on, I put on, even when I was eating quote unquote healthy, you know, when I tell people I was eating paleo, which was like chicken wings and chocolate and tequila, cause that's of course paleo and, and not training super hard. Like I was 170 before, before finding flexible eating and really digging into macros and now carnivore. You know, I would tell you I ate healthy, like most people would. Then I was 30 pounds heavier. It wasn't until cutting for a jiu-jitsu tournament that I came down. I was, I remember waking up and being like, all right, let's check my weight. Let's get ready for this tournament. And I was like, holy shit, one, I got to lose. I weighed 129.9 for that tournament. So I lost 40 pounds and have kept the majority of it off this is, you know, since then. Which is interesting because if we look at the, you know, if we were to throw CrossFitters in a population, I'll tell you who didn't see an increase of 40 pounds in that in 2020 was CrossFitters and, and people noticed that. Um, so which kind of is, it leads us to the point, which is like, okay, so things were already not going well. They got worse in 2020. People are coming out of that. There's been an artificial suppression of just daily life and a lot of other things going on. When that pops off, people are going to come out of their their shells or their homes or out of these holes they've been living in. And then they're going to realize they need to make a change. And we're already seeing that in a lot of places. And it has yet to come in other places because it's still being artificially suppressed in a lot of other places with, you know, crazy restrictions and stuff like that. And we're going to see it because people are going to realize like, Hey, I'm now people are coming to the realization that they're unhealthy, but there's a limited conversation around just, creating health. And then largely I don't have to worry about a lot of other things. I can just combat them with health, which is the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum, by the way, that we've been giving lectures on for, uh, I don't know, 20 years. So it is isn't like, I mean, we've talked about this before, whatever your beliefs are on the man, damn, he was ahead of his, he was right. He was, he was right. He was right. So I don't think you can negate what he kind of put out into the world. Okay. So, and, and you saw, I think you saw it. Somebody sent it to us. Like Savon's post was basically Coach Glassman right. talking about the pandemic before the pandemic. Before the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he, again, he wasn't he wasn't wrong. Uh, you know, and I, I think everybody agrees there. He, he's 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 a savant. So, you know, um, for 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 everything you could say negatively about the man, like you you cannot take that from him. And isn't um, it common that like when someone is a savant or such a genius that they also have a lot of craziness? But I mean, look at your favorite actors, musicians, art artists. You know, they're, well, they're I, what's the saying? Yeah, I think the saying is like there's a fine line between genius and crazy. Yeah, I mean, so, obviously, you know, like, that's where we balance. I'm the genius, you're the crazy. I mean, I'll take that. That's fine. Um, 
so and where we're going with that is is what we see this time and time again with regard to how we bring people into the community and and what we're going to stress right now is you need to change the way that you onboard clients when they come into your gym and yeah. i'm going to say it i'm going to say it very bluntly stop teaching the nine foundational movements and there's nothing to do with my feelings about the nine foundational movements I, I love them i think you should teach them we just talked about the med ball clean and the sumo deadlift high pool you should teach them stop teaching them in your onboard process it is a garbage experience the way it is delivered by me for many many years and by anybody else who is teaching that as part of your onboarding process yeah, this was all a very long-winded way of getting to the point that you're getting a lot of new people walking in your door and you can mess this up terribly. And one of the ways you can mess it up, like Fern just said, is, hey, guys, welcome to you know CrossFit XYZ. Let's, let's do the air squat. Oh, then we're going to front squat. Then we're going to overhead squat. Now you know, tomorrow we're going to press, but, you know, et cetera. And that's not so what they're Let me ask for. you a question, right? So like, just say, let's just say you come in. Let's say you do one session fuck it i'll be nice you do two and you're going to teach all nine foundational movements in two sessions yes so five so let's go five and four okay so you you walk me through this let's you are we going to do five day one or five day two well i think the only the smart thing is five day two you don't want to overwhelm okay. somebody cool all right so five movements in prototypically what would be a one hour session not including you know, walking out on the floor, doing all of this. So again, let's think of this as a lesson plan. It's not an hour, it's 50 minutes, okay? And I've got five movements. We also know that they are not teaching each one of these movements for 10 minutes, which then start, and because anytime I've walked people through this, I'm like, show me the timeline. And they walk me through it. And like, how long do you spend on the air squat? And they're like, about four minutes. And I'm like, and the argument to me is that that is sufficient to fix this person's squat. Right. And they're like, well, now that you say it that way, it sounds ridiculous. And I said, it's because it is ridiculous. Like that is not enough time. We teach the air squat. We teach the series of squats for 60 minutes at level ones. To people, and that still have been not, doing it. to people that have been doing it and know what they're doing. And that is still what most of us would consider, if you do this a long time, not sufficient enough time. And actually any reasonable person who has anything about training is not sufficient enough time to fix an error. You can make change. Don't get me wrong. If, if you're good, you can make change, significant change, but well, let's be that's honest. Not what's, that's not what's happening. Here's what happens in a 60 minute breakout, which we, you and I have done numerous times. You, it's supposed to be about 30 minutes for the air squat, about 10 for the front squat and probably 20 for the overhead squat. If you run your 60 minute group perfectly, how many times have you looked over at a group next to you? And it's like, we got, four minutes left and they're still on the front squat. Right. So it, it, that's yes, the, that's how long you should be coaching the air squat for like right. 30, 45 minutes. And, you, and, and, and you're just scratching the surface. And, and the real crux of this is not, is yeah, whatever. It's kind of to poke people in the eye, like whatever, I don't care. But my question that I would pose to you is if we really unpack this, how much value are we actually giving these people in the, in this session? Like if we were really to quantify, like if I was to go through and I was to canvas these people absent of you knowing what they were going to say, what do you think people would say at the end of that? Be like, Hey, was this valuable? Did you learn anything? Did you enjoy it? on a scale of one to 10? What it's do you tough. think the, the participants would say? It's tough. Cause you're biased, right? Like I know the value. 
if I run a, an onboarding session properly, I know I can give a lot, but no, no, no. I'm talking about teaching the nine foundational movements. Cause I think it's important to understand like why this is a problem because yeah, no, people I, really should understand like how this is actually perceived on the other end. But that's what I was going for. I was going to say like, that's my perception as the coach knowing, you know, we, again, we have a lot of new listeners. I'm a level four coach. If you weren't aware, um, God. just, you know, so as we a just, level, we just lost all of those listeners and then half the people that have been on the verge of leaving anyway. <laughs> yeah. We got nose hold. He's upset. I'm bragging again. Um, Damn you nose hold. <laughs> So I, I see the value from my end, but if, if, you know, I'm trying to put myself in that scenario. All right. I'm trying to learn something new. I go to a restaurant and go into the kitchen and the guy's like, let me teach you how to make fettuccine Alfredo, uh, spaghetti bolognese and, uh, you know, pasta primavera. And right. I'll be like, what? Like what? And he's Here, like, put this stuff different. in this bowl, turn that oven on, go over there, turn that burner on, put that thing on there. And then we're just going to stir it. And then, uh, all right, you did a great job. Yeah. Like, I'm like, you know what? Did I? Let me just get a box of Kraft mac and cheese because I learned <laughs> nothing in those. Right. You know, what would have been better? Hey, here's our stove. It has five burners. This is how you use it. Make sure you don't put your arm over it when the when it's on, right? Here's our deep fryer. Never stick your hand in it, right? Like, that's, <laughs> but that's the difference, right? That's kind of what you're getting at with these onboarding. You're, you're teaching me how to make three dishes and really I'm going home and opening a box of Kraft mac and cheese Versus you actually teaching me what I need to know about being here. There, there's a couple of misconceptions um, and I think crutches probably that people are leaning on. So number one, there's, there's one major complaint that gym owners will get from coaches if we decide to, to venture into this world of not teaching nine foundational movements, which is, well, I mean, how are these people going to know how to snatch when they get into the classes? Like we can't just not teach them those movements in the onboarding. I'm 15 um, and years in the CrossFit, and I still don't know how to snatch. I, that is a fact, everybody. <laughs> so that alone, um, what it is, right? And and again, let's get serious here. Like what that statement is, is an, a lack of confidence in my ability to teach people when they walk on the floor, right? So it's it's no different than what we what I would recommend to people in the level two, right? Which is no amount of front loading with information is going to fix people's problems. We see it every every weekend at the level one, right? We give these lectures, we go out onto the floor. You know, Dave talked about the movements lectures yesterday. You know, we walk through them in painful detail about all the points of performance, all the faults, different types of cues, verbal, visual, tactile. And we walk out on the floor and people still move less than ideal. You know, a wide range of movement. Level two, we see it every single, like every single weekend. Somebody walks out there, they give a truncated version of one of these lectures and, and then have the person move, thinking that telling them all of these things is going to fix their movement. It's not going to. That's not how it works. Now, take it out of this educational environment and put this into a B to C kind of environment, which is you're coming into the gym to, you know, change your life, have a good experience. And then I overwhelm you with all of these things that, number one, we could all agree, whether we want to or not, that they will not remember. They will not remember everything that you taught them. And everybody knows this because I have members that have been here six years. And when we snatch, they'll be like, is that the one that goes to the shoulder or to overhead? And I'm like, I love you for not caring that much about that. But it's the one. It's the one that goes overhead, right? And 
so I, I think just reimagining like what it is that we're providing and the value that we're providing them, it, it, it's less than ideal in these scenarios because I would argue that you should be doing the bulk, 95% of your coaching when they get to the group session. Like, and if you're not, then I, then I, then I think there's problems. I don't even think if you ended that onboarding session and said, hey, what three movements did we do? I don't think they'd be able to tell you the names. No. Just, hey, what's the difference between the – let's, let's use just the presses. Can you tell me the difference between the press, the push press, and the push jerk? How many people would get that right after the end of that? And I like probably the vast majority would get it wrong. Yeah. I mean, here's a good way to test it. Go test your membership base right now, and they probably wouldn't know. I mean, like you said, one of the, every time – we do a hang power snatch. I'll tell people like, hey, what's a hang mean? And maybe three people will know. It means, hey, we're starting, you know, with the bar already lifted. What's a power? It means we're not, you know, all of those things. We There's such a disconnect. And you and I saw it even when we launched Affiliate University in that we've owned five affiliates. We've, we've had tremendous amount of success at the affiliate level. We forget our little boxes. No, and I don't say that in an arrogant way. Like it, we have between the two of us, 30 years of affiliate ownership experience. We should know more than a box that opened in 2020 or 2019. But the point is, even those people, there's a huge disconnect into the people walking into their box. Like you need to literally look at every single person that walks into your gym as that's my mom. And my mom has never exercised. She's been on a treadmill at 2.5 miles per hour. That's about it. Like she knows that. And I, you- I had this scenario of exactly what you're talking about. I was, I was, I think, oh, I did a seminar in New Orleans. Uh, I don't know, maybe like six months ago. And my mom and dad drove and we had dinner on Sunday because you can't get out of there on Sunday to come back to Virginia Beach. And my mom was like, you'd be proud of me. I brought a rower. And I'm like, you did. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm genuinely proud of you. She's she like, what else? She bought a concept too. She bought the ones in like the back. No, no, she, she bought a concept too. She bought a concept too. The, um, and then, and then she says, what else should I do? And my mom's just like, just tell me what to do. Give me the workouts and I'll just do them. Right. Yes. Or like, just, or just tell me what to eat. And I'm like, that's not how this works, mom. And then we have an argument because that's our relationship. So then, so I took this opportunity and my, so then my dad's like, I'll teach you how to deadlift. We're in the parking lot of like a, Olive Garden or something like this at like 8 30 at night so I'm like I'm like okay I was like I'll teach you how to deadlift so I I reach in the back of my dad's car I pulled out an umbrella not one of the retractable ones like a normal one I was gonna say is it PVC in this (laughs) (laughs) there's a mine um and I was like hey hold on to this and then went through very simply and by the way, it was as simple as could be just like, Hey, put it about the middle of your shin. And then I just want you to look forward for me. I didn't give her anything technical. And my mom almost fell over with a, with an umbrella. <laughs> Not because it was heavy. She just couldn't, balance. she just doesn't know where her body is in space. Right? right. She's also coming off hip replacement, a bunch of other stuff. So, but my point is think like if my mom walked into a session and, and for the record, my mom doesn't give a shit about CrossFit or the push shirt or sumo delta. She, she just wants to, you know, sweat a little bit, move her, move her body and breathe heavy. Like that is the extent of what my mother is looking for. Which she wants to fitness. feel like she's getting a workout. Right. She wants to feel like she get a workout, which most people are because they have no concept of what CrossFit is or what it actually should be. And 
if she were to walk in and I were to try to teach her the nine foundational movements, that would be an insanely unpleasant experience to the point where if we were to really rephrase it, what she would have done is paid money for me to make her feel like a moron. Yeah. Hey, by the way, dummy, you know, this is the, you should be knowing, you, you should not only be able to do this well right now, but you should be, you know, remembering what it is. You should be able to tell me the points of performance of the deadlift, you know, it's crazy to think that. Right. And, and if, if we were to just ask the question, you know, and again, I, there's a real push because this idea has existed forever and I get it. Like it was out there and people taught it because we were trying to front load coaches, you know, weren't as good as they are today, or the classes weren't as well structured as they are today. Cause people have gotten better because that's how it evolves. It just persisted. But, but my question is now, are we making the assumption that I'm not going to teach them these things later in class? Because if we are, why don't we just teach it there in class? Because I'm going to have more time. I'm going to have one to two of those movements, right? Here, not, I mean, not nine. We've spoken about this at length, but ultimately, if, you know, you have to kind of like triage this, right? Like step one is this is like trying to fix uh, midline stabilization when someone's squatting on their toes and their knees in, because really what we need to go back and fix is the fact that a box owner, the affiliate owner, they're trying to do too much in that hour. That's Way too really, much. That's what it comes down. Like I got to teach the deadlift now because this is my only opportunity because next time we deadlift, we're going to be doing a, you know, a three by five plus a Metcon, you know, plus an extended warm up. So it's like, okay, I don't have time that day. So I need to do it well in advance so and that's where we're going with that is like we need to reimagine that because i mean i'm just gonna say it's a waste of time they're not going to remember i'm gonna have to teach it again regardless to it in more depth the second time probably because it'll be probably something that's going to happen in a you know in a loaded environment if it's going to be in a workout so it'll be either a barbell or a dumbbell and typically in the in onboarding you would see taught with a pvc pipe but, but all of that aside, that is all about me as the trainer. I know we've talked about this. It's a, saying, it's a thing that comes up. Am I doing this for me? Am I doing it for them? Teaching the nine foundational movements is not for the members. However many times or how many ways you want to try to convince yourself that this is somehow beneficial to them, it is not. It, I'm doing it for me because if I ask you, why are you doing that? You're going to say, well, I need them to know this when they get into the class. Cool. That's for you. That's not for them because if I'm a good coach and I'm going through this, I can take care of them in the class, whether they've learned this shit or not. Yeah, and that is where we should be looking at this or how we should be looking at it. You're, you're kind of saying to yourself, this is, I like that. This is for me because I'm not good enough during the hour when they're going to come in to make sure they're doing it safely. So I'm going to set myself up for success, even though. I know they're walking in. It's funny because they're, they're literally walking in with the same amount of experience, right? I mean, even if you could say, no, 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 they have 20 more minutes of experience because they did it in my onboarding. <laughs> like, think about that in a 40-year life. I mean, that I've, I've farted longer than that, right? That's like nothing. So they're coming in with basically zero experience zero. in the deadlift. Now, I don't think you're suggesting don't teach movement during onboarding. No, that's not at all what I'm suggesting. 
I'm saying stop using the onboarding process to try to front load people with technical information about movement. I'm going to teach them a ton of stuff, but it's going to have very little to do with movement. So depending on what your workouts are, my suggestion is they should be very simple in nature. Salt bike, kettlebell swing. How long does it take you to teach either one of those? You could do them both collectively in under 10 minutes if you're, if, if you're pretty good at it, how to set up the bike, how to read the monitor, whether you're pushing or pulling, all that kind of stuff. And then the kettlebell swing, how to do a deadlift first, what's the setup, how do I do a hike swing, are we swinging to eye level, you know, and there's a couple quick cues that I can get people to do it correctly using, you know, the core to extremity principle if you have a progression for it. But I could get somebody to both of those in 10 minutes, and then we can just do the workout. What's going to happen on the only way they're getting injured on the assault bike is they literally fall off. Yeah. And not to mention, they're going to get such a better workout doing that because it takes zero technique on the bike and you can destroy yourself. You can destroy people. There's yeah. obviously technique involved in a kettlebell swing, but assuming you're probably doing a Russian swing, if it's their first day, that'd know, be my recommendation. Yeah. You, you, you can, you can load up a 35 or a 53 for the men, make them feel like, Hey, you're doing good weight right now. Give me, yeah. you know, I don't have to worry about overhead position at this point. None of that. 10 swings, 10 calories for 10 minutes. They're dead. You literally killed them. (laughs) (laughs) Which is all, which is also not a good experience. So, so that leads me to another point, which is stop crushing people and your onboarding. That is not what it is for. Again, the whole purpose of this conversation is we tend to think of this in, in our world only, only through our lens. How can I buffer my ability to coach after they get rid of this, after they get done with this and go into the class? And then how can I expose them to the idea that they're not fit? Newsflash, they already know they're not fit. That's why they're there for you to help them. So stop smashing people into the ground. And I know people are probably more hip to that idea than teaching the nine foundational movements, but it still exists out there. I don't, I want them to walk away with wins. I want them to walk away thinking, okay, I had a, had a totally different idea about what this is going to be, but now I'm kind of thinking I can do this versus like, yeah, I didn't think I could do that. And I confirmed that I cannot do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if someone's leaving and you taught them an Olympic lift, even if it's their third day, they're leaving like, okay, my buddy told me CrossFit's for everyone, but clearly I cannot do this. Definitely not for me. But, because I really think, think about, about like how bad they're going to feel. Think about how bad they're going to feel about that. Like, uh, I, cr- they, I got crushed in the workout and I don't know how to do, you know, inner quotes, these simple things. Oh, and by the way, I should be eating paleo and I don't know what yeah. that means. Yeah, think I'm a complete turd. You, if you're teaching someone an, a clean or a snatch in their first three days, this is the equivalent of what you're saying. All right. Um, this is an Olympic sport. It's a really, really complex. People spend their entire lives working on just these two movements. Uh, I'm going to teach it to you in about eight minutes, and you need to know it for when you come to class tomorrow. I'll be like, what just, like, what just happened? It's and- just not a pleasant experience. Like, they are not going to feel good about it. They're not going to be hyped about it. And I'm not saying there aren't people that don't get hyped about it. What I'm saying is that it's a small subsection of people who are already going to come to your gym no matter what. And, and you should well, be good enough to pick those people out 100%. and potentially make an audible and say, hey, we're going to do a, you know 10 power snatches at 75 instead of kettlebell swings. But going back to a recent conversation we had about the sumo and the med ball clean, here's the reality. If I don't teach you the Olympic lifts, which 
you should not be doing in onboarding, but I teach you the kettlebell swing, basic movement. I've already just taught you the hardest part of the snatch, that powerful hip extension with straight arms, right? Really, that's the hardest part. I've just taught you that with this easy to, to maneuver object that gave you a great workout. So now when you come to class on Monday and we're doing snatch, and remember that kettlebell swing I taught you? It's gonna be very similar just with a barbell. All I want you to think about today is doing that. Cool, great. Next time you're here, we're gonna talk about, you know, not pulling girl, et cetera. And, and, and because I know there's people that have anxiety about this or they're, or they're like, no, you cannot do it. You have to teach them these things before they get in the class. Otherwise it's gonna be dangerous. Um, well, yes, if we do this incorrectly, which is involving like not scaling appropriately. So if you have this concern that you're worried that they're going to injure themselves in class, just remember this is for, for basically every scenario in your back pocket is a thing called scaling that you pull out when you have concerns and I scale the load, maybe I use a training bar or I use a dumbbell and they still feel part, like they're part of the class. They're still getting the intended stimulus of the workout. And again, when you do this long enough, you understand that it is still just as hard as your experienced athlete that is snatching 135 because we totally neglect the neurological demand on a new athlete to do something highly technical. It is exhausting, like the trying to figure out like when, where should I put my hands and all of this stuff like that is mentally exhausting for people. You cannot leave that part out, right? That is part of the, that is one aspect of the, of, of intensity with regard to the psychological aspect of it, right? We have the physical and we have the psychological portion of it, like being confused and having to slow down because this is highly technical is part of the, the intensity portion of that. It's, it's funny when you're saying that it's like, if I take Rocky, you know, my French bulldog for a long walk, he's exhausted, right? If I take Rocky to the gym and he just hangs out there with his eyes open the entire time, he's exhausted. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? He doesn't need the, uh, you, we, we only think the only way to exhaust somebody is by making them work out. Where in reality, like you said, or think about it from a CNS perspective. How many times have you done heavy back squats on Monday? And you're like, I'm not sore but I can't do anything. I give myself mono, right? You didn't know. You're just, your CNS is fried. Or let's, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, it is highly likely that if you have been a level one, if not a hundred percent, rewind back to that day and think about the thoughts you're having, holding the PVC in one of the outs. Where at any point we were like, I was, I wish this was loaded. No, <laughs> you were standing up. Er you were standing up early before we told you to stand or doing something of that nature because your legs are shaking because we held you there for ten seconds. So it's 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 not like you can't elicit a response. And again, I think it's just just reimagining this whole this whole process with the purpose of how do I make this a pleasant experience for the client and leave what how, whatever I whatever anxiety I have or whatever fears I have about them getting into the class, let that intervene because you're getting in the way, exposing them to so many things about what the value of CrossFit is and connecting with them. And we've talked about this is like, that is the most important thing is connecting with them. And if my onboarding process is built to teach technical complexities versus connecting with people, it leaves a lot to desire, if not everything to desire. Yeah, we, you know, we talk about it with the six criteria to be an effective coach. You know, 
presence and attitude most often trumps teaching, seeing, and correcting. Because if you're fun to be around and you encourage people to, to come back and hang out with you, it doesn't matter how bad of a coach you are. They're going to accidentally get fit and accidentally get healthier because they're showing up at the gym every day. I was just talking to somebody about that today. I will tell people this in the onboarding. I'm like, listen, even if I didn't know what I was doing, which I do, if you came here, you would get fit by accident. It just so happens that I do know what I'm doing. So it's a double whammy. But if I didn't, you would still get fit. If I never taught you anything, you just showed up and you kind of figured it out on your own, you would get fit. You know how I know that? Because people did that for like the first five or six years when CrossFit started kind of like making its way into the world. A lot of people didn't coach. They were just like, come on in, throw down. It'll be awesome. And everybody got fit as fuck. I would just be like, who wants Rabdo? Come on, we're going to do this workout. You know, I remember in the Scaling is for losers. If you can't snatch 135, just keep trying until you do. (laughs) My college buddy comes into the gym. He's in the military. And I'm like, oh, you want to do CrossFit? I got to smash him to get him to understand what it is and make him fall in love with this thing. And I, this is like kind of as I was maturing as a coach, it's probably like 2009, maybe. I was like, I'm giving this guy rabdo right now. Like, I need to stop this. Like, and I did. Ultimately, I was like, all right, all right let's slow it down. Let's, you know, change because I was progressive scaling. Like, let's go from pull-ups to jumping pull-ups. Oh, my God. So, luckily, he did not get rabdo, but many people did. But yeah. Big picture is you're you're right. Like even even you know we put this up the other day and it was got a lot of heat. But even really bad boxes are still worth one fifty because people are gonna one hundred and fifty dollars that is because you're gonna get progress. Bad it's like pizza or sex. You know, bad pizza or bad sex is still better than none. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I'm, all, I gotta... you know, I'm just speaking from what I've heard from the women in my life because it's only been bad sex. Fair, fair enough. The uh, yeah, I, I just think collectively, what we're trying to get people to do is is we want everybody to do better. And one of the ways to do better is really put some time and effort into thinking about what is the experience that people are getting when they come through this process? What are they walking away with? Is there an aha moment? Do they realize there's something they can do? Do they understand this abstract monster that is, that is CrossFit? What it is, was it, what it is not also, do they have that? Have I set them up for success to either have a little bit better understanding or make better decisions with regard to their comfort level and where they're, where we know that they're going to feel pressured to do things. And I've kind of quelled these fears. What are you doing to rid them of all of that so that they're nothing but stoked to get started because they trust you. They feel like you're going to take care of them. It's the baby bird analogy that we use in the gym. I'm like, they're baby birds. Your only job is to not drop them in the process. Treat them like little tiny baby birds, take care of them, nurture them, feed, spoon feed them, and don't drop them. Like that's it. That is your job during the onboarding process. And then when they get into the class, our job is to progress them through, teach them little pieces. Because remember, it's just, it, it's we teach new, new coaches. I mean, you don't have to teach everything in one class. There's this thing called tomorrow that we can layer on. And then the day after that, that we can layer on. So it's not one session. I want you to think of this in the course of where do I want them to be and how am I going to get there, get them there in one year? At which point this changes everything. I don't need to teach them a snatch on day one if I have one year. 
Because if that's what I told you, you have one year to get this person up to speed. I don't think you would start with the snatch. Was that it? Was that the end? You fucked it up again. That could have been the ending. I didn't know if you were asking. That was your tone was off, but I agree with you. Yeah, your tone. It was all wrong. (laughs) That's a great point. Like, okay, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to make the best athlete I can make in a year, or best member I can make in a year. It would certainly. or the best version of that person in the year. Again, it's the wrong lens. I want to make the best version of this person that I can in one year. And it's thinking with the end in mind, because if I do that, and I think rather with my immediate need in mind on the front end of their relationship with my gym, that, that changes the entire outlook on how I build this whole thing and how, and how I treat them and what we do in these sessions and the discussions that we have, all of that stuff. If, if you fundamentally just change the lens with which you look at this, you will come up with something probably pretty awesome. You started your business to help others. Somewhere along the way, you lost the capability of doing it on your own. Imagine how much different your business would be with an extra $10,000. Would you pay your rent? Would you buy new equipment? Would you pay your coaches more? Would you pay yourself? What if you could do that and donate to others? We started our business to help you. Finally, a a payment solution for the micro gym space. We are proud to introduce you to WheelPay, a platform that allows you to both save money and be generous. With giving partners like the Phoenix, the Navy SEAL Foundation, the Green Beret Project, and other charitable organizations, you can trust that your donations will make a massive difference in the lives of others. Saving has never been easier. Giving has never been easier. Pay better. Do better. We'll pay. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at best hour of their day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time.